So good morning. My name is Philip, and uh, it's good to be here on New Year's Eve, kind of New Year's Eve. So in less than 24 hours, it's going to be 2018, right? Is anyone excited about that? Okay. We'll just jump right in. That's cool. <laughs> All right, so uh, if you guys come over, come over to our house for dinner sometime, there are going to be a couple things that you notice when you first walk in. The first thing is this. When you walk into our house, everything is white, like the walls, the trim, the cabinets, the doors. I mean, everything is white except the floors, except the floors. And I, I think it's technically like, a, like, a, like an eggshell white with a satin finish. Um, but every, everything is white, right? And, and so you come inside and you think, why don't these people paint their walls? I don't have a good answer for that. I grew up with a house that had white walls, not an insane asylum, just a regular house. Um, uh, but I, I think that'll probably be changing soon because Loretta and I, my wife, are having conversations about painting. So either way, first thing you'll notice about our house is that the walls inside, everything is white. The second thing you'll notice is that when you sit down on our couch, uh, all of the, the furniture is arranged to facilitate conversation. <clears throat> of course, once you sit down and you're like, oh, we can talk to each other, you, you, you probably start looking for the real thing, which is like, where's the TV? Why is there no TV on the wall here in the living room? Well, it goes back to, that. this all started with uh, a story when Loretta and I got married. So we did the Justice of the Peace ceremony. I was in the Marine Corps. Loretta and I got married. And then I deployed three weeks later in the Marine Corps, right? And if you've ever been in the military or know anything about the military, there's a whole lot of hurry up and, all right, hurry up and, yeah, that's like the story of my four years in the Marine Corps, hurry up and wait. So during one of these wait times, I'm reading a magazine, and remember, I'm, I'm a newlywed here, right? So I want to make sure my marriage is going to be good when I get home. And one of the things I read is that couples with a TV in their bedroom have 80% spend 80% less time doing married things. You understand what I'm saying? They're like they're little kids in the room or something. <clears throat> so, so as a newlywed, I'm like, okay, I'm obviously not going to have a TV in our bedroom. So as soon as I had a chance to email Loretta, I said, hey, babe, I know you're putting our apartment together. There cannot be a TV in our bedroom. Um, consequently, there's no TV in our house. So um, you can do that what you want <laughs> Four kids later, right? Yeah. <laughs> so the third thing you'll notice, the third thing you'll notice is that we have artwork from our kids taped all over our walls and our doors. And I don't mean like, you know, you go on Pinterest and you find some really nice bulletin board, uh, cork board. It's like perfectly framed up there and like you got, you got the pins on there and, and the, the, the papers themselves are framed. None of that. I mean like just pulled out of the backpack, still crumpled up, has like juice stains from lunch on it. A four-year-old took tape and stuck it on the wall and it's probably going to rip off paint when we take it off. Like that's the level of, of kidness in our house and that's what you'll notice when you come inside our house. We have white walls, there's no TV, and there's pictures from kids taped all over the place. Now, the third thing, the, the pictures taped all over the place is what I want to share with you guys today. Uh, and, it's, and it's this. Um, specifically, there's a picture that uh, our oldest daughter, Jocelyn Drew, she's seven, she'll be eight in February. And it's a picture uh, of a, a cutout heart. It's white. 
And then in blue block letters, you'll see right here, it says love is the best, an exclamation point with the, with the, the red heart underneath, right? Love is the best. That's from my seven-year-old daughter, proud daddy. Now, I didn't do the responsible thing and ask, why did you write that or anything like that? But I did take note because I think that's a sentiment we can all relate to, right? Love is the best. We're going into a new year. Can't we just love each other some more? Uh, if only it was that easy, right? So depending on your perspective, 2017 has been crazy. Either crazy bad or crazy good, somewhere in between, but Generally, the feeling is 2017 was a whirlwind of a year. A lot of stuff going on, both good and bad. So in 2017, uh, we've had a peaceful transition of power with a new administration, which is a good thing and a hallmark of a stable democracy. Yet hurricanes and wildfires ravaged entire regions, leading to unimaginable human suffering. In 2017, Medical advances have made the world a safer, healthier place, and yet mass shootings, here in the United States at least, have unfortunately become a part of life. In 2017, technology has enabled the world to become flat. We can Skype with people in Indonesia that we're supporting, church, church planners there, leading to unprecedented opportunities to learn, grow, and connect, and yet, here in the U.S. at least, we can't figure out race relations. I mean, I, like, all this great stuff and all this bad stuff, like, what in the world is going on? Love is the best seems like it's the right answer. I mean, how many times you turn on, turn on the news, check Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, the list goes on and on, and you see all this crazy stuff going on, and you just want to say, guys, can't we just love each other? Like, why can't we just get along? Let's just, and let's be honest, how many of us have gone on there and posted, why can't we just love each other? All right, there's like one honest person here. Sorry. So if 2017 was crazy, what does it mean for 2018? How do we respond as, as Christians, as followers of Christ? How do we respond to what happened and position ourselves for 2018? Do we set big, hairy, audacious goals? Work hard to achieve them and pray that God would help us achieve them? It's kind of on my list, if I'm honest. Or do we respond to 2017 by lamenting the fallen condition of our broken world, our selfish country, our unjust state, and even our sinful selves and just lose hope? Or do we fall back on witty sayings and platitudes like we just covered over the past couple weeks and resign ourselves to saying it is what it is? I think we can all agree that for 2018, we need more love in our world. And if we're honest, we could use a little bit extra love ourselves. So what does it look like to love? And more importantly, what happens when we choose to love? Thankfully, the Bible has an answer to this. That's good news. So the book of 1 Corinthians, where we're going to be working out of uh, this morning, was a letter written a really long time ago. The author is a guy who was first like the chief church persecutor. Like he started his career trying to kill Christians and then had a 180 encounter with, with God, saw Jesus, and then was like the number one church planter for I don't know how many hundreds of years. This guy's name is Paul. So, so what happened was 
the church in Corinth had written a letter to Paul, and Paul responded. That's what we see in 1 Corinthians. That 1 Corinthians is a letter that he wrote in response to something he received. <clears throat> now, we don't have that first piece of correspondence that Paul received. So could feel like we're missing out. But based on Paul's response, we can have a pretty good idea about what was going on in the church in Corinth at that time. Here's what was going on in Corinth a long time ago in this church, all right? So the church family was divided about whose teachings they should follow. There was like, we should follow uh, Barnabas' teaching. No, we should follow Paul's teaching. No, maybe we should follow Jesus' teaching. All these people were, were saying, you can't follow this person, you have to follow this person. And in modern day terms, that means the church was headed for like a split, for a divide, which is never a win for anyone. They were dealing with sexual immorality to the tune of a grown man sleeping with his own mother. They were dealing with litigation inside of the church. So like people were suing the pants off each other, the shirts off each other's backs left and right. There was a lack of theological clarity. They were concerned about eating meat that had been sacrificed to idols. And, and just to fill you in on this, it's an interesting, uh, interesting piece about that. Uh, a, a team of us here from Christ Community Church have, have partnered with Refuge Louisville and have been uh, loving and sharing life with a refugee family over the past couple, I don't know, six months or so. Uh, and they're Muslim, right? So uh, when we have them over for a holiday or we go spend time with them, we need to make sure that we either provide halal meat or don't. Don't cook bacon for them, right? Be sensitive to, to what matters to them. And so we had the conversation of, well, like, it, can we eat the halal meat because it's prepared a certain way in accordance with the laws of Islam? I mean, that's a real thing back then and now. So you can see, like, there was a lot going on in the church of Corinth, right? A lot of stuff going on. And if you read it from beginning to end, which I recommend you do, you get a sense that periodically Paul is exasperated and frustrated at multiple points. Like, like he, he says, okay, you got this guy, he's, he's sleeping with his mom, do this. Just, just, this is how you need to address that. Uh, okay, you, you don't know who to follow. Guys, like, I follow Christ, so like, will you please follow Christ? That is how you need to handle the situation. And, and periodically it's like he stops and says, guys, can't you just love each other? It's not that hard. Just love each other. Love is the answer. Love is the best. Like, love. So here's what he says as a little aside in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 13. And this will sound familiar. <clears throat> if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge... And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, and hopes all things. Love endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, if you're a prophet, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they'll cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and by that when he says in part, he means partially, 
and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, a small piece, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Paul just said, can't you just love each other? It's really not that difficult. So you remember the question, what does it look like to love? Paul gives us a holistic picture here of what it looks like. And, and you see there's, there's kind of a list, right? Love is patient, love is kind. So I'm going to run down that list. And with each, with each, with each um, description of what it is or what it's not, I'm going to also offer the alternative of what it is. So love is patient, not in a hurry. Love is kind, not rude. Love does not envy. It celebrates. Love does not boast. It honors. Love is not proud. It's humble. Love does not dishonor others. It encourages. Love is not self-seeking. It looks to the welfare of others. Love is not easily angered. It is long-suffering. Love keeps no record of wrongs. It assumes the best. Love rejoices in the truth, even when it hurts. Love protects and allows vulnerability. Love trusts, enabling honesty. Love hopes and always believes. Love perseveres and doesn't run out. Love never fails because love always wins. So this isn't just like an arbitrary definition of love. And it's, it, it, instead, Paul is expanding on what he said earlier in the letter in chapter 11, verse 1. Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. So this list isn't like how to be the best fill-in-the-blank you can be, right? This list is what it means to love like Christ. So love never fails. Love always wins. That's a powerful statement because it's true. So while Paul provides us a very poetic description of what it looks like to love, Jesus shows us what happens when we choose to love. That's kind of the kicker, right? Love isn't just a feeling. Love isn't just an emotion. Love is, is a decision. Love is a choice. Love is intentional. Here's what happened when Jesus chose to love in Luke chapter 4. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. This is a story of Jesus being tempted in his response and choosing love. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, 
it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here for it is written, it's the devil quoting the Bible back at him. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Jesus chose to resist the temptations the devil laid out before him so that he could honestly say to you, he could honestly say to me, I know how you feel. I've been there before. Let's look at another example of when Jesus chose love in John chapter 4. So John chapter 4, Jesus is traveling through Samaria where, I can, I can paraphrase it. Jesus is traveling through Samaria where um, Jews just didn't go. Um, so let's, anybody know about Louisville? Okay, uh, without being too ridiculous, there are places where some, you just don't go, right? Every, every big city has that, right? Um, well, this reason wasn't because it was a bad part of town. The only reason Jews didn't go through Samaria is because they were Samaritans. So, um, you know, take that for what it's worth. Either way, Jesus says, I'm going to go through Samaria, through this place where, like, we Jews don't go. As he goes, he comes up upon this well. There's a woman drawing water, and he's like, hey, can, can I have... Can I, can I have some of your water? And, and she says, yeah. And, and uh, she goes, well, you don't, you don't have a bucket. Like, how are you going to get some water? Essentially what happens is Jesus says, I'm the living water. And I also know that when you go home to your husband, like, you don't have a husband. You've had seven husbands. And the man you're with right now isn't your husband. So she, she's blown away by this, right? She's blown away. But the best part, the best part is that he says, you know, you're drawing water for your animals right now, but the water you're really looking for, the water that's going to solve the hurt that you're trying to fill with these guys, like, I'm that water. I'm going to fill that. I'm, I'm the eternal well that never runs dry. This is how Jesus chose to love, and this is what it means for us. He said that no burden of guilt is too great. No weight of shame is too heavy. Jesus says, no person is ever too far gone. That's some good news. That's what happens when we choose to love. This last example from Luke 22 is when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he tells his disciples, like these guys that have been with him for, you know, three straight years, watching him do incredible stuff. Um, I'm going to go pray before I get arrested and killed. Can you just keep watch to let me know when they come? Simple task, you'd think, for a friend, right? So as Jesus goes up here, he begins to pray. And, you know, he, he understands that, um, like, the way this has to work is someone has to pay for, these, for our sins. And he knows that he's the one that has to do that. And that's still a choice that he makes. And, and this is what he says. This is what he says. If you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. God, I really would prefer if there was another route that we could take that didn't end in me dying and getting beat and tortured 
for the forgiveness of everyone's sins. If we could take that route, if there was another possibility, I'd really prefer that. But if not, your will be done. I will, I'll still go the route to death because love isn't a feeling. It's not an emotion. It's an intentional decision. That's why it's so important that God didn't create us without the sin option. Because without that choice, it wouldn't really be love. <clears throat> so at this point in the sermon, I should probably have a slide that lists eight practical ways to love in 2018. I think, I think we have one. But we don't because that's not what it's about. There really was going to be a slide, but I don't have eight practical ways. So kind of a spoof. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, you know, a listicle would be great. Like, here's eight practical ways in 2018 that we can go love. And that's good, right? We'll get to that at some point, I'm sure. But th there's a core concept of what it looks like to love Jesus. And I think that it's important we understand that. And it's this. Right actions with wrong intentions don't make it okay. And neither do wrong actions with right intentions. That's why Paul said, if you can preach the gospel in five different language, languages, or speak in tongues of angels, if you've memorized the entire Bible front to back, if you've got more faith than anyone, even your grandma, or if you give all your things away to the poor, that doesn't matter unless it's done in love. So for you in 2018, what does it look like to love? What does it look like when you choose to love? It might look like being slow to anger and long-suffering when that kid in your community group trashes your house week after week. It might mean having people over for dinner that society says you shouldn't. But Jesus' love is humble. And it isn't proud. It's not self-seeking. It might mean, choosing to love might mean, might look like giving the person or family member a second, third, fourth, fifth chance who's done you wrong and probably shouldn't be given another chance because Jesus' love is a love that keeps no record of wrongs. Or maybe it means hanging in there with a wayward child or a spouse when you have every right not to, let's be honest, because Jesus' love is the kind of love that perseveres. Every single one of those things is what he's done for us. He's done for me. He's done for you personally. Whether you accept it or not, that, that, that's what he's done. That's huge. Remember, love is patient, not in a hurry. Love is kind, not rude. Love does not envy. It celebrates. Love does not boast. It honors. Love is not proud. It's humble. Love does not dishonor others. It encourages. Love is not self-seeking. It looks to the welfare of others. Love is not easily angered. It is long-suffering. Love keeps no record of wrongs. It assumes the best. Love rejoices in the truth, even when it hurts. Love protects. It allows vulnerability. Love trusts and enables honesty. Love hopes and always believes. Love perseveres. It doesn't run out. Love never fails because love always wins. So as the band comes up, I think it's a good idea to ask ourselves this question. What happens when we love? What happens 
when we choose to love. So we just went through a couple's examples of that, right? The community kid and all that stuff. But for Jesus, his decision to love started him on a path to capital punishment, death on a cross. And he made, he made the decision to love knowing that's what was going to happen. Imagine if, I mean, if I knew that was going to happen, I might not choose that, if I'm honest, right? But it ended, it didn't, it didn't end on the cross, it ended with his resurrection, which means that we really can say love is the best because Jesus' love saved our lives. So we also have a decision to make. We can make it today in 2017, or we can make it in 2018, but we do have a decision to make. And that decision is how we're going to respond to the love of Jesus. One option, we can hold off, pray about it, want to learn more about it. Fair enough. Or we can know that the kind of love Jesus offers is better even than the love we get from our favorite sibling, a parent, a spouse. It's better than that, which is kind of hard to imagine sometimes. But that's how good Jesus' love is. So if you've already made the decision to respond to the love of Jesus through baptism, we invite you to take communion with us here in just a minute. And after we pray, you'll, you'll take the bread, dip it in the juice, and return to your seat. And take the time to reflect on what Jesus did for us on the cross and in the empty tomb. But if you're contemplating how to respond, we've got some people in the back. I'll be in the back. You can meet us back there. and We're happy to listen, to learn, and to share more about the love of Jesus and what it can mean for your life. Let's pray. God, your love is perfect. Your son said it best when he said, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for another. You lovingly sent your son Jesus, who willingly laid down his life not only for us, but also for those who aren't ready to make a decision yet, and indeed some who ultimately never will. Help us be more like you in every way because we know that your love never fails. In fact, your love always wins. Your love is the best. Amen. Please stand as we worship. We invite you to respond to the love of Christ, as Philip has talked about today, uh, by coming forward, taking a piece of the bread and dipping it in the juice, uh, by recognizing maybe for the first time that Christ loves you and wants to have a relationship with you and you've never said yes to that relationship with him. You can meet Philip and others in the back, and then, of course, through giving uh, in the back as well. So uh, let's sing together as you respond.
They made me play that one. I didn't even, I, didn't, I don't know that Let's song. Let's tag a whole song. Let's tag a whole song. Just do and it. do it twice. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. Welcome to Christ Community. <laughs> hey, they will know we are Christians by our love when we go outside and show our love, right? And that's what we're all about here, and that's what we pray and hope happens in our lives and our stories as we go out in 2018. Amen? So, we need some encouragement while we do that. We need some help and some community and fellowship while we do that and that's why we do this little thing called community groups it is like this arrow that shoots through all those things and keeps us encouraged while we love those who quite honestly can be hard to love so um, if you're here at christ community often and you kind of know the people um, it's easier for you to get in a group right Uh, it's just choosing making an intentional decision loving people and uh, there's nine groups that are on the window over there that range from Sunday to Thursday and everywhere in between. And uh, we really encourage you, those start January 7th, to get in one. Maybe you're new, maybe you're not sure where to start. Um, we're going to send out a text. If you, uh, if you will text, or if you already signed up for this list, if you will send a text to, at, uh, to 81010, that's at the at symbol CCCMA, we're going to send a text that has a little short survey on it that will help you answer some questions that will help us help you find a group. And we're going to do that by connecting you with real people, right? That's the important part, people connecting with people. So get in a group. Get in a group because if you want to love the way that we've talked about loving, if you want to be known by your love, you're going to need that group of people around you that are encouraging and loving you as you love others, all right? So you're going to hear more about that over the next couple weeks, but that's your next step today. Get involved in that. Get engaged in a community group. Let's pray. And then let's go be the church. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for love that sent you, uh, your son, to to earth to show us what true love really is. And God, I pray that you would help us to love and encourage one another. I pray that um, this week we would just be challenged uh, and inspired to begin again with you. And that we would let you write our story. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go be the church.